This is episode number 531 with Dr. Yarun Janssens, author of Data Science at the Command Line. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is John Crone, a chief data scientist and best-selling author on deep learning. Each week, we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today's guest is the data science command line virtuoso, Jeroen Janssens. Jeroen wrote the popular book, Data Science at the Command Line, the second edition of which was released by the publisher O'Reilly in October. He's also the founder of the aptly named Data Science Workshops, which provides, well, hands-on workshops on data science to global organizations such as Amazon and the New York Times. He's also the organizer of the Data Science Netherlands Meetup, which has over 3,000 members. He formerly worked in academia as an assistant professor of data science at the Geronimus Academy. And he worked in industry as a data scientist for the publisher Elsevier, as well as the New York-based startups YPlan and Outbrain. He holds a PhD in artificial intelligence from Tilburg University. In today's episode, Yeroon details why being able to do data science at the command line, for example, in a bash terminal, is an invaluable skill for a data scientist to have. He also talks about how mastering the command line is the glue that facilitates polyglot data science, the ability to seamlessly borrow functions from any programming language in a single workflow. He talks about his PhD research on detecting anomalous events in time series data, why LaTeX is a great typesetting language to consider using, particularly for creating lengthy documents or technical figures that adapt automatically to new data. And he talks about how his company, Data Science Workshops, grew organically out of his success as an author. Today's episode will appeal primarily to practicing data scientists and related professionals like software engineers and machine learning engineers, since it largely covers topics relevant to people who use a command line prompt as part of their workday or would like to consider doing so. All right, you ready to rock? Let's go. Jeroen, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. I've been looking forward to this episode for weeks, and now you're here. Where in the world are you calling in from? Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm calling in from Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The uh, a shipping center of the globe. Oh yes, there's a a lot of maritime activity over here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so we know each other uh, directly through Jared Lander, who was in episode 501. So Jared runs the New York Open Statistical Programming Meetup, which has made a huge difference in my life as well as in yours. So there's a common thread for us with this open statistical programming meetup in that it launched my book writing career. And it sounds like you have a similar story. That's right. Yeah. So Jared reached out to the startup in New York where I, where I was working at the time. Um, and I was, um, given the opportunity to give a talk and I was thinking, what should I do a talk about? Well, I was a data scientist at this startup and I was using command line tools. I was using the Linux command line 
to do some of my work. And I thought, hey, I have a few things to say about that. And, um, and while I was preparing the talk, I also wrote a blog post. And this was in 2013 already. And um, well, that blog post eventually uh, got um, number one on Hacker News oh, <laughs> for wow. a full day. Yes, wow. I never had a, a blog post like that ever. <laughs> Set the bar very high. No, but that, then I thought like, hey, maybe there is something here. And that eventually led me to um, yeah, writing the book. And of course, I got a lot of help from uh, plenty of people along the way. And one of them is, is Jared. Yeah, so O'Reilly picked up the book um, and, you know, probably the most well-known uh, technical publisher on the planet. I guess they saw that you had this incredibly popular blog post and reached out to you. No, it's the other way around. Um, I um, So um, here I got the help from, yes, many more people, including Michael Dewar. And he introduced me to um, Mike Lukitas, who is, uh, has been working for O'Reilly for a very long time. And uh, I was able to uh, convince him that we should do a book about data science at the command line. Nice. Well, I can see why. For me, it's a fascinating topic. I try to use command line tools wherever I can. We're going to dig into this a lot in your episode. Um, so before we get to that, we're going to talk about your book in a lot of detail, but you also have a connection to another recent guest who is Virle van Leemput. Uh, yeah. She was in episode 491. And yeah, so tell us a bit about that connection. Yeah, I was, I was very pleasantly surprised to find out that she did a podcast. Um, so I did my PhD at Tilburg University, and um, I also taught at that same university, and that's where Veele uh, did her master's degree. And uh, I was uh, lucky enough to be supervising her master thesis, and uh, I was um, very fortunate to be able to introduce her to, to some R packages that I had recently learned, including the Tidyverse, and uh, well, yeah. it's obvious that she has picked that up uh, uh, very well and moving into uh, uh, developing shiny applications. So yeah, that was uh, great to see. Yeah, exactly. That was that was the topic of the episode. We talked a ton about our shiny and the tigers. Yeah. Um, yeah, and thank you for <laughs> correcting my pronunciation of her name. I butchered oh, Dutch names. Right. Oh my goodness. Um, we are but, so uh, much more than names, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, trying to get better. Um, so, so back to data science at the command line. So this is, that ended up being the title of your book. So you had a first edition that came out in 2014. And now you have a second edition that just came out. It came out in October and it's actually freely available online. It's not exactly the same as the version published by O'Reilly um, that you could, you, you can order uh, print copies from O'Reilly, or you can go to uh, O'Reilly.com and go into their learning platform and see a digital version. So the free online version, slight differences in in that you know it's kind of your screenshots or sketches in the live in in the free version, but all the content is there. So that's something that yeah. um, you know listeners can check out risk free <laughs> at no cost, and then hopefully if they like it, they're willing to. Uh, to to buy the physical copy or or access the digital copy so that you know you, you know that's, I think that's the right thing to do in those kinds of circumstances but it's an amazing book it covers how to clean and explore data at the command line 
It covers how to model data on the command line, of course. It covers how to create your own command line tools, which is actually something that you spoke about recently at the New York R conference. We, we were both speaking at that. Um, uh, and that's where we actually recorded a Super Data Science episode. It was the first ever Super Data Science episode live in front of a studio audience, number 511 with Drew Conway, whom you probably also know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. We've, yeah, we've interacted a couple of times. I am unsurprised. So, uh, so yeah, so creating command line tools is a big focus. And uh, it has a new chapter that wasn't in the first edition on polyglot data science. So about uh, having many, many languages in your data science toolkit. And I imagine there's something there on how command line tools allow you to kind of bring all those together and make the most of everything. So that's right. Um, yeah, tell us about the book. Um, beyond, yeah. beyond the kind of high-level summary that I just gave. Yeah, so, okay. Um, the book is indeed freely available, datascienceatthecommandline.com. Um, I, once I have updated those images, it will actually be the same as the book. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh. I, I was very happy that O'Reilly allowed me to, uh, to put the book wow. on the screen yeah. for free. Yeah, yeah. I like that you mentioned risk-free because um, <laughs> next to this book, I have created a, a Docker image that allows you to try all these tools out uh, risk-free, right? Because it's a, it's an isolated environment. And yeah, yeah. the command line, when you're first starting out, can be very intimidating. And you can indeed, um, well, it's not oh, without risks. You can very right. easily wreck your system. And so when you are in this this isolated environment. I used to have a virtual machine for this back in uh, in 2014, but now I've switched to a a Docker uh, uh, image. And then of course, once you run it, comes a Docker container. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm still thinking about what's the easiest way to get people started because I discuss uh, over a hundred different tools. And if you were to install them all manually, it would take you a, (laughs) Yeah, a good portion of the day. And that's, of course, not a fun way to get started. So I am thinking about this um, a lot and how to make it easy for people to get started with this. Because while it's been around for over 50 years, you know, this this technology, the so-called command line, the Unix or Linux command line, mm-hmm. <clears throat> there are still, yeah, <clears throat> I think that a lot of people would benefit from uh, from learning a, a trick or two from uh, from this environment. I wholeheartedly agree. And I love the way that you're doing it. Having it in a Docker image, that for me is today the easiest way that you could be conveying this to the audience. So um, yeah, there's a few steps, maybe even at the command line uh, mm-hmm. that somebody will have to execute to get that Docker image turned into a running container on their systems. But then as you say, it has all of the dependencies that you need. In your case, like you're saying, over a hundred different software tools already pre-installed, and everything is inside that container, so it's separate and, like you say, risk-free uh, yeah. from all of the rest of your systems. And so, the worst-case scenario is that you mess up something inside the Docker container, but the rest of your computer will be absolutely fine. So, I think you're, yeah, I think you're doing things absolutely correctly there. So, having a Docker image was also for myself. Because I wrote the entire book in R Markdown, which you know would take 
all the bash code and all the all the pipelines that I've written, compile it, and then stitch the the output from each uh, uh, command back into the Markdown source, um, which then you know is in turn being uh, uh, converted to a PDF and an ebook and a, and a website and so forth. So uh, what I wanted to avoid is that the code and the output from that code uh, got out of sync. So that's why I decided, you know, let's do this properly, have a Docker container, uh, a Docker image, so that others can also benefit from this. Awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Eliminating unnecessary distractions is one of the central principles of my lifestyle. As such, I only subscribe to a handful of email newsletters those that provide a massive signal-to-noise ratio. One of the very few that meet my strict criterion is the Data Science Insider. If you weren't aware of it already, the Data Science Insider is a 100% free newsletter that the Super Data Science team creates and sends out every Friday. We pore over all of the news and identify the most important breakthroughs in the fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. The top five, simply five news items. The top five items are handpicked, the items that we're confident will be most relevant to your personal and professional growth. Each of the five articles is summarized into a standardized, easy to read format, and then packed gently into a single email. This means that you don't have to go and read the whole article, you can read our summary and be up to speed on the latest and greatest data innovations in no time at all. That said, if any items do particularly tickle your fancy, then you can click through and read the full article. This is what I do. I skim the Data Science Insider newsletter every week. Those items that are relevant to me, I read the summary in full. And if that signals to me that I should be digging into the full original piece, for example, to pour over figures, equations, code, or experimental methodology, I click through and dig deep. So. If you'd like to get the best signal-to-noise ratio out there in data science, machine learning, and AI news, subscribe to the Data Science Insider, which is completely free and no strings attached, at superdatascience.com DSI. That's superdatascience.com DSI. And now, let's return to our amazing episode. And yeah, so for listeners who aren't already familiar with Docker containers, Docker images, this sounds like a great way to get started with that as well. And when you get into using uh, data science in production systems, at companies, Docker containers, Docker images, these are the standard today to allow your machine learning models to scale up across many different servers um, and execute efficiently. So definitely a skill worth having if you don't already. All right. so. Once a reader of your book has their Docker environment set up, then what do they do? Do they, do they, you must teach them some bash um, before getting into R and Python or tell us about kind of the flow through the book. Yeah, so the, the book um, starts with an introduction to, well, first of all, it explains, of course, what data science is well, according to, well, some, right? right? If you ask 12 different people what data science <laughs> means, you get back 13 different answers. Right. Um, by the way, the book leans on the awesome model by Chris Wiggins and Hillary Mason. Um, but, and um, so after it has explained why the command line. Oh, what, what do you mean by that? The awesome model? Like it's a, it's a template for book writing? 
No, no, it's a so it's a O S E M N, which you could pronounce as awesome, where each letter stands for a task that you could do in data science or that you would need to do. And they are um, obtaining data. So that's the O. The S stands for scrubbing data. Then you have exploring data, then modeling data. And lastly, you have interpreting data. But then it's the N, which is capitalized. In put into <laughs> this acronym, uh, which I don't discuss because I think that interpreting data, right? What do your results mean? And how do you communicate that um, to your peers um, is not so much a, an activity you do at the computer. That's very much an, a human activity. But having said that, every step of the, of the other four steps each have a chapter in this book. So there's a chapter on obtaining data where I talk about how you can uh, uh, convert you, how you can open up Excel files or, or, or just CSV files, how you can download data, how you can query RESTful APIs. Um, then there's a, a chapter on, uh, on cleaning that up, of course, because rarely is the data that you get into a format that allows you to immediately work with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, um, and, and this could be anything uh, that you could also do in, 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 in Python or R. Um, but sometimes you need to do a little bit of cleaning before you can even get that data into Pandas or into uh, uh, the Tidyverse, mm -hmm. right? Um, so Does that involve things like awk and sed by chance? Does yeah, I mean, awk and yeah. sed are two uh, popular tools, popular command line tools that uh, can do a lot of data cleaning there. Yeah, yeah. And awk is, uh, has, has to be one of my favorites, but I'm not sure if it's really fair because it's, 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 a, it's a programming language on its own, albeit right. very restrictive. It's not like, like Python or R, but it allows you to do a lot with your data. Um, it reminds me of a, 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 a story, a, a project that I once did for a client in Norway. They had this two gigabyte JSON file that they, they just needed to change a little thing, but you know it had big implications. And they tried to use a tool called JQ, which is another command line tool that allows you to work with JSON data. Mm -hmm. And uh, JQ is one of the, the younger ones, yeah? Um, they couldn't do it. They just ran out of memory all the time. And, and then, so this, uh, this person, he had followed my workshop, data science at the command line, and he reached out and he said, hey, could you perhaps help us? And so I tried a bunch of things. And in the end, I was able to fix the problem using awk, a, a, a tool and language from, uh, I, I, if I had to guess, the 80s. Uh, and <laughs> I it was able so. to yeah, solve this under a second. And didn't use any 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 memory, so that just re keeps reminding me that we don't often need uh, bright and shiny new tools, right? There are a lot of tools already available that have been optimized throughout the years, and this is just one of those success personal success stories there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, often said, and then there are about a hundred others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't need to know all of them, just as you don't need to know every single function from the tidyverse sure. in order to be effective.
Sure, but a book like yours is perfect for giving people an overview. So maybe they don't need awk or said today, but nope. by being introduced to that and the hundred other tools, you kind of see, oh, okay, like there's another possible tool in my toolkit. They can yeah. do a little bit of playing around in safely <laughs> inside yeah. of a Docker container that you provide them. And then they can, okay, you know, that, that'll stick in their memory. And maybe a year or two later, you're like, ah, oh, perfect opportunity um, for me to, to, to make use of one of these other tools. There are tools written to this day, every day. Uh, I don't know about uh, the majority of tools, right? I still find new tools on a regular basis. But what I think really matters is that after a while, you get accustomed to the environment that you're in. Like tools come and go. But it's the environment, the shell, the command line, also sometimes called the terminal, if you mm. will, although there are slight differences between these concepts. But um, once you're comfortable in that, you know, what is sometimes a stark and unforgiven, unforgiving environment, once you're used to that, it, you know, the tools themselves don't really matter because, you know, you have a bunch of them and you know how you can stitch them together. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then solve your task and then move on to the next one. So. Yeah, being comfortable at the command line in a programming language like Bash is a career-long investment as a data scientist. You will always be able to come back. Unix isn't going away. Jupyter nope. Notebooks aren't going to be around forever. Something else is going to come along. Um, and, you know, Any of these click-and-point user interfaces, they're going to come and go over the decades long that you're practicing data scientist, but it is unlikely yeah, <laughs> that no, Unix it's, it's command line is going to be example yeah. of uh, the Lindy effect, right? It's been around for 50 years, so we can expect it to be around, well, for the rest of our lives, at least. So yeah, it's a worthwhile investment, exactly. Definitely. All right. So, all right. So we've kind of covered cleaning and exploring data a little bit. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about creating your own command line tools, which was the topic of your New York R conference uh, talk in the fall? Yeah, yeah, uh, ex uh, absolutely. So uh, after a while, you realize that whatever you type at the command line can also be turned into a command line tool. It's, it's conceptually similar to writing a function in a programming language, right? You're mm -hmm. able to abstract away from some code and to treat it as a, as a black box. But the great thing about the command line is, is, is that it doesn't care um, about the language that a tool is written in. Right. Um, on, a, on any given day, I use tools that have been written in Perl, C, R, Python, JavaScript even. Uh, so um, as long as they take in text, produce text, um, and that sounds a bit odd right now, but text is the universal interface in, uh, in Unix. Mm -hmm. um, but then you're able to uh, uh, combine those and then, yeah, the possibilities are limitless. <laughs> yeah, it's the ultimate melting pot across all, yeah. of, the program, all of the programming languages. So whether yeah. you uh, today happen to be a kind of data scientist who uses Python more or R more or SQL most of the time, uh, it doesn't matter, you know, at the command line, you can use all of these equally. And as you add more languages, more tools to your toolkit, they can all blend together in these kinds of scripts, which you so elegantly describe as a way to then um, abstract away things that you do repetitively and do everything more efficiently. Yeah. And one more thing about that. 
it's indeed um, you're expanding your own toolbox because of this, but you also have the ability, you know, to expand others, uh, 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 right. other toolboxes, the toolboxes that others have. And so, if someone is not familiar in, uh, say, Python or R, just to <laughs> name a few, that it doesn't matter. If 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 you provide a little bit of documentation on how to use the tool, then they should be able to to use it, install a few prerequisites. But then the interface is very familiar because it's all on the command line. And so uh, that is one approach you can take when you want to be a, a polyglot data science data scientist. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So then we're on to that new chapter. Uh, is there anything else about that in particular that you want to focus on right here? I I absolutely love this idea. I mean, in the same I in the same way that R and Python and SQL are the most popular programming languages in data science mm -hmm. today. Again, that's going to change. <laughs> we don't know what they're going to be in five years or ten years. You know, those three languages will still be around in five years and ten years, but who knows what else will come up. And again, being able to understand the command line uh, means that it, it doesn't matter. Whatever comes along, you're going to be well prepared um, for blending that together with the tools you already have. So I don't know, anything else uh, from you? Yeah, so yeah, of course, we, we mention Python and R quite a lot because they are the two most popular uh, open source uh, languages when it comes to doing data science, um, but also something like Spark, Apache Spark. It can right. take in, it has a pipe, uh, uh, method, right, where you can pipe uh, all, all, all the items in an RDD to a, a command on the command line. And then once you realize that, again, there are so many uh, possibilities. Um, but what really matters here as well is the mindset that, that you are, that you realize that you don't have to do everything in a single language. A lot of people, when they want to when they when they go into data science right they they are of course overwhelmed just like with everything else when you go into a new field but then they'll see oh, there there are all these languages and all these tools which one should i learn and um mm -hmm. i think it's it's important to to know um you can't go wrong with with either of them and uh, if yeah. you at a certain point see a a package that really solves your problem. It's a very specialized package, um, but it's not in your language. Then it's not it's not a big deal. You'll be able to still use okay. that package and remain inside your preferred language. Uh, yeah. Nice. So that is a beautiful summary, Jeroen, of uh, why this polyglot in data science is so valuable. All right. So let's. Uh, move on to your business. So your business, Data Science Workshops, uh, came about as a result of your first book. So the first edition, as I mentioned earlier, came out in 2014. And then by 2017, you had a full-time business of your own, Data Science Workshops, that kind of came out of the, the book. And, and so I'd love to hear about that. Data Science Workshops does data science training and coaching, of course, offering workshops, as the name would suggest, but also uh, in-company courses, hackathons, meetups, and even kind of what you bill as inspiration sessions that could be shorter sessions that provide um, anyone, whether they are uh, you know, hands-on data scientists or not, so they could be managers, uh, 
providing them with um, kind of an inspiration of like what's possible with data science, you know, transforming your organization towards a more data oriented, um, machine learning oriented organization. Um, and so, yeah, so you offer all these different kinds of uh, formats and you offer them in a wide range of languages, which given everything that we've talked about so far should not be surprising. So there's, uh, you do workshops in Python, in R, in Bash, and even there's some JavaScript in there. So tell us uh, more about your business uh, beyond what I've just what I've just introduced. Yeah, well, it sounds so good when you say it like that, but I didn't plan for this. <laughs> um, when the book came out, I was contacted by a a company in Barcelona, Spain, asking me whether I wanted to give a one day workshop. Uh, to their team of engineers, because he wanted them to uh, he wanted them to give more exposure to the command line, um, and he didn't want to do this himself. Uh, they had some specialized command line tools for uh, obtaining some data from their from their databases, which I really liked. In fact, I liked giving the workshop so much uh, <laughs> that I decided to do this more often. I, I, and, and not just about the command line, but um, also R and, and Python indeed. And um, lots of, and, and of course, languages uh, are, are only tools, right? A means to an end. Uh, I also give workshops that are more focused on data visualization and machine learning. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of grew out of that. And so... Um, I started giving more and more workshops um, uh, at different companies until I decided in 2017 that it was time to just do this full time because I, I enjoyed it a lot and uh, yeah, it allowed me to put food on the table. So, and here we are four years in and uh, I'm still enjoying it uh, very, very much. Nice. Yeah, it's wonderful to be able to find something that stimulates you so much that you enjoy so much and that you can also do to put food on the table. It's a very <laughs> yeah. uh, nice situation to be in your own. So, um, yeah, so prior to to uh, running this data science workshops company, um, you had a very strong technical background. Um, you did a PhD at Tilburg University, and then you were um, an assistant professor at the Geronimus Academy of Data Science. So um, it'd be interesting maybe for our listeners to talk a bit about what your PhD research was, how that kind of led you into this um, data science path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we can go one step back more, and that's uh, I did a master's at, and in artificial intelligence and kind of stumbled into doing a PhD. Um, which was more about machine learning and then specifically uh, detecting anomalies. So I spent five years um, working on algorithms that, um, yeah, that would detect anomalies. Uh, so yeah, five and a half years, uh, a long time. I think um, uh, we spoke about LaTeX uh, before the show. And yeah. I, 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 um, I think I spent about six months of those five and a half years, uh, perfecting the layout of my, my PhD, <laughs> um, which is, I, I really enjoyed doing that, but it's, you know, designing is not particularly a skill, <laughs> which is uh, 
appreciated too much, uh, or it's not really um, used to advance your career within academia. So I I decided to leave um, academia right after, or even before my PhD. I was lucky enough that uh, most of the things that I had learned were all of a sudden being used in this uh, role called data mm-hmm. scientist. Mm-hmm. It, didn't, it didn't exist. Is what was back in 2011. It didn't exist in the Netherlands. This title. There were no vacancies with this title. But on the other side of the uh, uh, of the pond, as they say in New York, there were a lot of roles, and they. Yeah, I was very lucky uh, that I uh, could start working as a data scientist in uh, mm-hmm. New York City. Yeah, um, so Outbrain, Y Plan, Elsevier. Oh, Elsevier was back in the Netherlands. So by that point, they yeah. caught up. You could be a. So that's you, right. Yeah, so you you finished the PhD uh, in 2013. Well, I guess you, no, yeah, I, I, you, that's you right. finished defending in 2013. So it's very much the same timeline as me. It's it looks so I I left um, Oxford uh, where I did my PhD in 2012. Started working, but I didn't have my dissertation uh, submitted and defended until 2013 or 2014. I think it was 13. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I was you know I started work and I had the same experience when I started work I worked as a trader at a hedge fund and I did that mm. for two years and I had never heard of this title data scientist I didn't love being a trader I had a hard time staying motivated about uh, making money for its own sake and so I left being a trader with the intention of actually um, so I'd I'd done my PhD in England. As a trader, I was between New York and Singapore. And when I quit, my intention was, and it was literally in my resignation letter, was that I was going to move back to Canada and study medicine, which is something that I'd kind of uh, always intended on doing in a way. Um, but then at the same time, so in this period, I had like a month left on my on my rent in New York and um, socially with a friend who worked at another company in New York that I'm sure you've heard of from your time here, ZocDoc, um, which is a a marketplace for matching people looking for medical services with doctors. And so I met somebody who worked there who had the title data scientist. And I was like, whoa, it sounds like I could do that job. And And it sounds very sexy. (laughs) Yeah, they were like, well, as it happens, there's a lot of people looking for you. Uh, in this field. And I was like, wow, all right, maybe I should look into this instead of like, you know, going on a 10 year path before I'm earning an income again down the medical route. And I love data science in case <laughs> it yep. isn't obvious. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm cutting off your story by just talking about oh, myself. No, I but mean, there's interesting parallels there, I think. Definitely. And it's a shame we didn't bump into each other uh, in, in New York City. But um, um yeah, in the Netherlands, when you do a PhD, you get a salary, uh, but only for four years. After four years, you're on your own. And I wasn't quite finished, um, mm-hmm. mainly thanks to LaTeX. Well, a bunch of other reasons, <laughs> but I had to find a job. I had to, <laughs> right, right, had to right. put food, table, uh, food on the table again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's when uh, New York uh, uh, came around. Exactly. And uh, that's also when I made the switch from MATLAB. I remember you started out with MATLAB as well. Wow! But, um, yeah, you've listened to a lot of episodes. Yeah, that's right. Um, I <laughs> I like yeah, the podcast. In, I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, I yeah. So I, in my undergrad, I was primarily using MATLAB, and then 
over the course of my PhD, more so into R, and then mm. as a professional data scientist, uh, now, you know, mostly in Python. But uh, yeah, that's right, MATLAB. Yeah. MATLAB, MATLAB is, uh, was great, but it was also really expensive. So I decided, you know, uh, being a Dutch person, I, of course, don't want to pay for these things. So I <laughs> moved, <laughs> I moved to a, uh, a free and open source alternative that was called Python. Octave. I remember I oh. was using Pandas version 0.4 <laughs> and still Python 2.6, I think. Yeah. Good old days. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the uh, yeah, that's the so uh, MathWorks who creates the MATLAB software. Um, they provide it for free to university students, and so it gets that gets people hooked. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then once you move into the professional world, yeah, the licenses for for MATLAB are expensive. I mean, the kind of the nice thing about about paying a lot for software like that is that it's really tidy. I mean. Everything works together um, exactly as you'd anticipate, and everything's very well documented. In the open source world, it's a, obviously a bit more of a wild west, uh, but it's free, mm -hmm. and it has all of the latest things. I mean, somebody publishes a paper, you see that paper right away in archive, and then, oh, you go to the associated GitHub repo to get access to that modeling approach right away. So um, I think that's why we've kind of, as an industry, moved gravitated towards um, yeah. open source, but yeah. It can go two ways. I was, I've was i also been using commercial software, commercial database, that because it was so expensive, um, there wasn't a large community. And so when you right. were in trouble, it was very hard to, to, to get answers to your questions. So yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah, that's a really good point too, that with, if you're using more popular open source libraries, you can often, you can just type the error that you're getting in, into a Google search, and you get back exactly um, the Stack Overflow page, the exact command that you need to fix your problem. Um, yeah, so that, that's a really, that's a really good point. And it's interesting, so I, I wanted to come back to, you're talking about LaTeX and spending um, six months <laughs> of your PhD perfecting the, um, the layout. So, so LaTeX, for listeners who aren't aware, is a typesetting language. So, um, so I wrote my book in LaTeX. I wrote my PhD uh, thesis in LaTeX. It makes it allows you actually at the command line, if you'd like to, um, to to write um, beautiful um, PDFs, and it it scales up nicely. So, especially you know, if you're writing something that is only a few pages long, doing that in a um, in a in a real time editor like Microsoft Word or Google Docs. Um, that isn't too cumbersome, but when you have documents that are hundreds of pages long, it makes it nice if you can have your chapters or sections broken out into different text files, and then those all compile together, um, and it makes the whole process a lot more manageable. Um, it also, I mean, it's 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 what you know when books are ultimately published, they're often done in LaTeX, so it also can give you the kind of the crispest layout possible. Um, but so. Uh, the reason why I'm talking about LaTeX so much is it's interesting that um, the very next episode that I'm recording, which I anticipate will be episode 533, that will probably be released uh, the week after listeners are hearing uh, this episode, um, mm -hmm. is with someone named Brett Tully. And uh, Brett Tully and I did our PhDs at the same time. We were roommates um, while we were doing our PhDs at Oxford together. And he made this amazing LaTeX template for his PhD 
I just took it and used it. It was to all of the formatting guidelines that we had at Oxford. Um, and so for me, it's actually, it's interesting that um, one of the reasons why I then loved LaTeX so much is it meant that I didn't futz around with formatting. So I found prior to getting into LaTeX, I would primarily use Word or, or Google Docs. And when I do that, I spend a crazy amount of my writing time futzing with like how this particular page looks or this particular image looks as opposed to just getting the content in there. And when you're working with LaTeX, particularly if you do it at the command line, it's just, you're just hammering out the content and I wasn't worrying about formatting at all. But so anyway, it's two, two very different experiences um, oh, yeah. with LaTeX. <laughs> you you uh, took the smart route. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of um, just got lucky. If Brett hadn't been there, I don't know. Yeah. I would have been in the same situation as you and I would have needed another year to finish my PhD. <laughs> oh, yeah. Having, having said that, I also did my figures in LaTeX. There is a oh, package yeah. called Tix oh, yeah. that I use mm -hmm. that I don't know how to use anymore. It's all <laughs> forgotten. Um, but that produced one. If, if, you're, if you're listening to this and you ever need to produce a a, a a good looking figure programmatically, then Tix might be worthwhile looking into. T I K Z. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good yeah. point. And, and actually, something that we haven't even mentioned yet one of the really um, useful things about LaTeX is writing math equations, which is how mm -hmm. a lot of people get into it. Um, so it has, it is the most sophisticated framework that I'm aware of for being able to write equations however you'd like. So, and then, and, and then as you say, you can use ticks for creating your figures. So you can create beautiful figures um, programmatically at the command line if you'd like to, or in a text <laughs> file, whatever text editor you want to use. And all of these things can be seamlessly weaved together, um, which is, yeah, so there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a learning curve but yeah, oh, yeah, if you're if you're making large documents or you're going to be programmatically, if, if you're going to be, you know, wanting to automatically generate a lot of the same style of figure, definitely something worth investing yeah. in. And Beamer for but presentations. Also, but also, um, if a figure or graph is based on data, it, it's really nice that that graph gets updated as soon as the data changes. Totally. So maybe you, you're doing some, some experiments, right, that produce some results that you have, I don't know, in a CSV format, then it's really nice. And of course, you can do this also with R um, and in Python. There are many ways to do this, but just being able to reproduce that is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. So didn't expect to go off on this uh, LaTeX tangent, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it has been interesting for some of our listeners. Um, Jeroen, something that I ask all of the guests on the show is for a book recommendation. And I know that you have one for us. Do you want to tell us about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have here a Masters of Doom by David Kushner. And it, uh, he writes about how Doom and Quake and the team behind it, its software, uh, came into existence. And so it's a it's a fascinating read, not just uh, you know it's it's of course related to games, but it's still related to technology, mm -hmm. um, and of course lots lots of drama in this. No kidding. Um, 
Yeah, I, I still play these games uh, regularly. Uh, I'm also creating a, a map for a Quake uh, 1, that is. So the game that came out in uh, 96, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, it's uh, not a data science book, but it is a nice one uh, if you're looking at to read something uh, in, a, in a different... Uh, yeah, and it, it, well, it blends uh, kind of technology and history in an interesting way, especially if there's drama that could be really interesting to read. <laughs> yes. And, and yeah, those games, when they came out in the 90s, I'm getting the impression from <laughs> the things we talk about that we're very mm -hmm. much the same age. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I remember when Doom came out, um, it was, there had been some 3D games before, like Wolfenstein 3D, mm -hmm. um, but Doom was, it was a game changer in terms of being able to have a 3D video game experience, so much so that I remember insisting that my grandmother come with me to the bookstore so that I could get uh, the strategy guide to how to play Doom, but we didn't even have a computer. We didn't have computers at home. I didn't have access to a computer at school at that time, but I yeah. just knew that this super cool thing was going on. And so I learned about all the different kinds of guns and monsters from the, the like <laughs> guidebook. Um, anyway, we should that's a really cool set up a death match at some point. <laughs> 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 um, what, is that, what does that entail? It sounds painful. Oh, a death match is just, um, yeah, um, a, a, a coin, a term that was coined by John Romero, right? One of the founders of its software. And it's, um, it's a type of game where you just uh, try to kill each other in the game uh, as often as possible. So, um, yeah, and this Got can it. be one on one or uh, one versus many, team versus team. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's a different name. That's a different type of game, actually. But yeah, many versus many, deathmatch, and it's uh, used to be all the all the rage on land parties. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Prior to yeah, widespread internet when you were on uh, dial-up modems, you'd literally yeah. network physically. We're network showing our age together. here, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Very. I, I'd say very cool, but I'm not sure that this conversation <laughs> has oh, been very cool. Um, it, uh, well, to make it relevant again, uh, yeah, yeah. John Romero's wife, uh, Brenda Romero, who's also a game designer, she recently had a tweet about okay. Um, <clears throat> she was wondering how many game designers were actually using Python and Pandas in order to analyze their data, no or kidding. were they still using Excel and you know sorting these columns? Of course, I immediately reached out, um, still waiting to hear back from her. <laughs> but I, you know, it's all tied together. Uh, there's data in every field, and uh, that's what makes um, you know data science so interesting, right? Yeah, and so broadly applicable. Um, cool. Yeah, definitely an application that I didn't anticipate discussing today, but absolutely <laughs> love doing. Yeroon, we've learned so much from you today, uh, not only on LaTeX and Doom, but also on the command line and how it can be so useful in data science. So how can people stay in touch with you, follow your work? Um, what's the best way to stay up to date on the latest on working at the command line? Right. So two main websites, uh, the one for the book, is data science at the command line.com where you can read well both the first edition and the second edition. I can recommend the second edition, although I am a bit biased. Um, and <laughs> if you want to get a hold of me or follow whatever it is I am doing, 
I am on Twitter and LinkedIn. And the easiest way to get to me is through uh, my company's website, which is datascienceworkshops.com. And I always love to hear uh, uh, from others whenever they are stuck with something or whether they have a suggestion for some cool tool that they found. So, yeah. Awesome. All right, Jeroen, this has been such a fun episode to film with you. I've yeah. really enjoyed this. I've learned a lot. And yeah, hopefully Likewise. we can have you on the show again sometime in the future. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me, John. I loved filming this episode with Jeroen today. He's so effortlessly cool while explaining relatively complex technical topics. He seems like a genuinely, exceptionally happy individual who would brighten anyone's day. In today's episode, the beautiful ray of sunshine, Yarun, covered how both his book, Data Science at the Command Line, and its associated Docker container of hundreds of software dependencies are freely available online. He talked about how the newly released second edition covers how to do everything a data scientist would need to at the command line, including creating command line tools, modeling data, and using the command line as the polyglot glue between different languages like Python, R, JavaScript, uh, anything. He talked about the awesome, O-S-E-M-N, <laughs> the awesome approach to data science defined by Hilary Mason and Chris Wiggins, which involves obtaining, scrubbing, exploring, modeling, and interpreting data. And that's the approach that he follows in his book. As always, you can get all those show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, the URLs for Yeroon's LinkedIn and Twitter profiles, as well as my own social media profiles at www.superdatascience.com 531. That's superdatascience.com 531. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd of course greatly appreciate it if you left a review on your favorite podcasting app or on the Super Data Science YouTube channel. I also encourage you to let me know your thoughts on this episode directly by adding me on LinkedIn or Twitter and then tagging me in a post about it. Your feedback is invaluable for helping us shape future episodes of the show. All right. Thanks to Ivana, Mario, Jaime, JP, and Kirill on the Super Data Science team for managing and producing another fun and informative episode for us today. Keep on rocking it out there, folks, and I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science podcast with you very soon.